The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning, this is Ellie Weiss with Wild Eyes Foundation and Our Wild World. I hope everybody's having a great fall day out there. Uh, today we're going to talk about the economics of conservation. Over the last few weeks I've been laying some groundwork about what it takes to make conservation happen, what conservation is, who's involved in conservation, and uh, who, who is affected by conservation. Uh, hopefully by now we've gotten a little understanding that conservation is about all of us. Um, it's not just by conservationists. It's not just about one particular species. Uh, it's about all of us, that conservation is about people. And uh, it's we people who are going to define and decide what kind of planet we want to live on, what kind of planet we want to have tomorrow. Uh, what kind of planet we want to have for our children and their children's children, and what kind of planet we would like to have around us in terms of the other species that live alongside us that we depend upon. So hopefully I've gotten uh, gotten it across that the needs of people and the needs of wildlife are inextricably linked. Uh, they're bound together by the common resources of our earth. Our human sense of entitlement over these resources versus the needs of animals is where conflict arises that often turns into a boiling battle. Let's call it um, the tree hugger versus the corporation. But what we're really talking about here is the economics of conservation versus what some could call the moral and ethical dilemma of providing an atmosphere that allows for and includes the security for the other life forms we share this earth with. This is the basis of how we can define the health and wealth of our communities, both locally and globally, the decisions we make that affect not only our current quality of life, but that of future generations of both the human and the wildlife communities. Hopefully I've gotten it across that wild is what ex our wild world is what exists around us Um on the, the borders and the outskirts of our urban and suburban areas. Uh, it exists in our green spaces, our national parks, but it also exists on the side of the roads, between the concrete islands, between the buildings, and farther afield in those places we dream of visiting one day. Let's say you want to go on a safari, or you'd like to see a polar bear, or you'd like to go to Yellowstone and enjoy and recreate in the backwoods and perhaps come across a moose or a bear or a grizzly. 
um, we have uh, responsibilities when we go into these areas. Uh, they're not built for us. They are part of the earth and we are part of the earth. And we need to be responsible in our actions in how we live on this earth and how we treat and respect the rest of the beings, not just our human neighbors, but the other beings that live on the planet. We talk a lot about uh, animal rights and animal welfare. Usually that gets limited to, uh, I'm going to call it domestic animals, pets, cats, dogs, horses, sheep, farm animals, uh, sheep, goats, that kind of thing. But it does go farther in, ter- in terms of the wildlife. Those animals that live separately from us depend on the same resources as, as we do, uh, create our habitats, drive our ecosystems, and are uh, critically functional to how the world runs, whether we're living with it in our city and seeing it every day or watching it on television. So if we're talking about wild spaces, it's, it's obvious that Yellowstone National Park or the Maasai Mara in Kenya is generally understood and perceived as a wild area. Um, but let's talk about the, the concrete divider on the side of the highway. Is, is that a wild place? Well, yes, it actually is. It's a place where other animals, other creatures exist, perform their lives, um, go about their business irregardless of us. Uh, so does that mean our local pocket park is wild? Well, not wild like the Maasai Mara or Yellowstone National Park, but it is an area where nature is present more than people. And the, ha- and the inhabitants that go on about their lives without us and use our habitations for themselves. So that's another concept we can uh, talk about and think about is how wildlife uses what we make. Um, we've done, in terms of wild eyes, we've done several studies in Botswana of how wildlife, I'm going to, uh, for an example, mongoose, use uh, human habitations uh, as we affect and change the landscape, build a lodge for tourists or build a new building in what was a once open field or put in a new road for recreation, ATVs or logging. What does that do to wildlife? Well, the first thought is building these kinds of roads and uh, bringing in human activities does fracture the landscape for wildlife. Every time you build a road, you are creating a boundary between one space and another that wildlife has to cross. And that boundary, otherwise known as the road, has human activity on it. And that does affect the wildlife that lives around that road. And uh, we call it fracturing a landscape. So um, not everything is become so fractured to the point that it becomes an island zoo or an island, but in some places it does. And then we are left with an issue. How do we repair that landscape? How do we defracture? How do we create a corridor? And that's what a migration corridor or landscape corridor corridors or the word connectivity comes into play how do we uh, remove the fracturing and reconnect these landscapes so that the wildlife and the ecosystem can function in spite of or irregardless of our uh, building into these areas 
So to bring this back a little more to um, wildlife and what is happening on our planet today in terms of the rise in human population and our growth and our uh, globalization and the ability to have all the things that we have, uh, Nike, Sony, TV, Costco, Walmart, Target, uh, downtown cities, strip malls, you name it, all the things that we like to have for our convenience. What is it doing to the uh, rest of the world? Um, and let's take Africa as an example because it's an emerging uh, continent. It's it's filled of uh, several emerging nations. They used to call it the dark continent Ooh, um, or, you know, the deepest, darkest Africa. Well, that's not the case anymore. Africa has emerged. It has taken its place on the world stage. It is uh, coming up in terms of the world market. Let's talk about um, the Dow, the stock exchange, uh, minerals, food, you name it. It is now a, a place that is considered uh, a working economic area on the world stage. So what does that do to wildlife? And what is it and how does that relate to the economics of conservation, our top, topic today? Well, there's several ways we can go about uh, looking at this. Uh, in the end, uh, the way we look at things and the way we uh, define our health today is our economy. And uh, we all know today our economy is not doing so great. That's just here in the U.S. But we've also noticed how when our economy here in the U.S. isn't doing so well, it has that trickle-out effect on uh, everything else. Take the 2008 financial collapse. We're still reeling from that, and so is the rest of the world. So that's uh, in one area. That's kind of an esoteric, cerebral kind of uh, level or layer that we're looking at. So let's trickle that down into the uh, African village. What does that have to do with somebody uh, who's planted an acre, not even an acre, let's say 20 feet by 30 feet of corn and uh, and some vegetables to get by? And they have five or six kids, and a couple of them are going to school, and they need to pay school fees. And they have to contend with elephants and lions uh, as competition for their resources. So the economics of conservation comes down to, once again, uh, five basic things. It comes down to our uh, financial security, our food security, our social security. And once again, I don't mean social security as the political uh, funding uh, administration that we have in the U- U.S. I mean, social security in terms of our safety on our street, in our home, and with our neighbors, access to education and information. So this does affect your average African vi- villager com- as much as it affects you or me in our city or in our town or in our rural area. Uh, so when an elephant comes in, let's say you've just planted your garden and it's everything you need for the next year. And an elephant comes in who weighs six tons and is at least 15 to 20 times bigger than you are. You have absolutely no way to defend yourself against this animal or to make it move. It's not like a dog that you can say, move, sit, go away. Um, and that elephant comes in and uh, eats all your corn. Well, that's made a huge impact on your survival for the next year. You now no longer have the crop that you were counting on, that you spent the previous year uh, planting. Uh, 
growing, harv- uh, make, ensuring that it's been safe from baboons, from other wildlife, the ungulates that might enjoy eating off your corn or your vegetables, uh, your neighbors, uh, whether they be human or, or wildlife, and then also your livestock that you need to feed, and the, uh, let's say the predators that come in and might be interested in eating your livestock. So all of a sudden you're faced now with um, a situation where you're crashing. Your food security, your social security, and your economic security has just been wiped out in a day. What happens? Uh, well, that's the big deal. That's a lot of what Wild Eyes is working toward uh, ameliorating uh, and mitigating these conflicts uh, in terms of uh, elephants coming in and eating the garden. We do a lot of work with uh, elephant deterrence and elephant repellents, and that's anywhere from chili peppers to electrical fences to cellular phone technology that lets us know when an elephant is arriving uh, so that we can be prepared and put out the alarm, so to speak, and be prepared and know when and where and what to protect it at any given time. Same thing with lions. If we know where the lions are, then we know where our cattle should not be. And uh, we can provide safety for our children and for our community members by staying out of a lion's way. So in working with conservation and the economics of conservation, uh, this is where the money goes. This is where the work goes in finding ways to help provide an atmosphere where wildlife and people can live together. And, and reduce the conflict and reduce and mitigate those conflicts. Uh, I don't think there's a way we can ever remove it altogether, but there are certainly ways that we can become more prepared. And I talked about that some uh, last time. And, you know, when you're going to go outside, what are you going to do? I think we all need to be prepared, and that works on a large scale to the small scale, on the individual and on the national uh, the scale and level. So it looks like we're uh, heading here into a break. When I come back, I'm going to uh, get into some fig facts and figures uh, and get into some nitty-gritty about what's happening with wildlife today. See you in a little bit. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. 
Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Hi there. So we were getting into the economics of conservation. So now I'd like to give you a little uh, nitty-gritty facts and figures of what's actually going on out there. It may seem very far away from you, but as if you've been listening over the last few weeks, it does affect us. And I'm also going to connect that to right here in home uh, in our, our U.S. Wildlife Services. So uh, African wildlife is dying at a conservative estimate of one million animals per year. Absorb that for a second. One million animals per year. Tens of thousands of animals are poached every day for the illegal bushmeat trade, whether it be um, for single family survival, which we call subsistence, or for the commercial trade, which is large scale international uh, trade in wildlife, not only their parts and their pieces, but their meat. Um, that relegates into uh, CITES, the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species, traffic, which is uh, the monitoring of trade of, inter- in- of endangered species, and Mike, the monitoring of elephants killed per year. So we do have organizations that are out there monitoring this, but on the ground, it's a very different and difficult story. Um, perhaps several of you have seen the... Uh, uh, headlines in the news lately. A couple weeks ago in the uh, New York Times, there was the slaughter of elephants in Kenya. Uh, the This month's National Geographic is about uh, elephant slaughter and poaching for ivory. 35,000 elephants killed so far this year in Kenya. Um, so we get to a point where what is a viable number and what is a viable reason Let's call it a reason to keep wildlife around. That's what I'd like you to think about. What does wildlife mean to you? I've been um, trying to help you understand how critical wildlife is for our ecosystem. But when it comes down to it, it's going to be our decision whether we want these animals to share our planet. Um, Eight years ago, there were 220,000 lions 
across their former range in Africa. And now, due to predation upon domestic livestock, conflict, as I was talking about, disease, climate shifts, and trophy hunting, less than 2,000 or fewer remain across their former range. Uh, you could go visit National Geographic's uh, website and uh, the Derek and Beverly Joubert's uh, Big Cat Conservation Initiative, and they have a great little map that you can watch how uh, the lion population has just collapsed over the past 20 to 50 years, uh, where they used to be and where they are now. And um, furthermore, there is really no consolidated continent-wide census of species such as cheetah, leopard, apes, antelope, giraffe, hippo, or zebra to emphasize the sweeping decimation of wildlife across our earth. For people who are starving or have sustained damage or death by wildlife, wildlife conservation efforts fall on the ears of angry victims. Despite protective laws, retaliation against wildlife is swift and brutal. Even with vigorous reproductive rates, these wildlife populations will continue to decline under this pressure. The conservation of method of wildlife must pay for itself is not working. So let's focus on that for a minute. Wildlife must pay for itself. How is it going to do that? Well, in Africa, it's through tourist dollars and uh, the people who come and photograph it or through trophy hunting, the people who want to come and kill the best of the species because it looks good on a wall or mounted. Um, I think I said before, I, I don't condone trophy hunting, but I do condone hunting for food. It does have a place and is a good management tool as long as it is, quote, uh, operative word, managed. With bushmeat hunting, it is not managed. It is, uh, Thousands of snares laid in a line in an area where wildlife is moving because of uh, seasonal rains or because that's where the food is, and uh, it is indiscriminate. So snaring, S-N-A-R-E, it's a snare. It's a wire um, circular uh, trap. Uh, we do snaring for wildlife here. Um, it's a, a trap that kills wildlife, and uh, if it's the beaver that's eating your trees or the mountain lion that's came that's come down and taken your coal to your your sheep <coughs> excuse me that's a sing, a singular incidence excuse me i'm sorry and that's a singular incidence that we do have uh, agencies that are around us to help us deal with that or the bear in your yard but on the large scale when you're snaring hundreds of thousands of animals on a daily basis along every border of every park. We're losing wildlife at unprecedented rates. And this is what's happening in Africa. Um, we're not, it's not based on science. It's not based on understanding the numbers that we have of wildlife. There's uh, very few coordinated, I'm going to call them globally coordinated, where everybody's talking to everybody else about the numbers that we have of these animals. What's left? And it's a valid question. When you want to go help uh, and donate to a wildlife conservation organization, such as Wild Eyes or Save the Elephants or, you know, Save the Rhinos, and you'd, you'd like to know, well, what's left? How many do we have left? What are we talking about here? Well, in terms of elephants, we're down to uh, several hundred thousand across uh, Africa. When it comes to rhinos, we're talking in thousands, perhaps two to three thousand. Uh, when we're talking with lions, we're talking 20,000. 
So in terms of a community, 20,000 people is pretty big. In terms of a global community, 20,000 lions is nothing compared to the 450,000 that were here 50 years ago. So the economics, once again, of conservation is not dealing with the individual so much that one little guy or woman or village family or you whose garden has been destroyed by an elephant or whose single cow or five sheep have been taken by a lion. The economics of conservation is about where can we put our money and uh, in those organizations and those management services that will make the best use and handle the conflict and mitigate uh, on the side of wildlife, not just the side of people. Um, poverty is a huge, huge issue of why our wildlife is uh, dying across Africa. The poverty of indigenous peoples is the underlying cause for this escalating and extreme loss of wildlife. Lack of economic security, providing people the basic necessities of sustenance, makes wildlife a readily available source of protein and income. Bushmeat trade, food, food security, economic security. As wildlife is killed in buffer zones, and that's an area around a protected area like a national park, uh, so the buffer zone is usually... Um, a certain size of area between the protected area and between people. And we call it a buffer zone because it allows for wildlife to move in and out. There's another layer of protection in a buffer zone. It allows for human uh, habitation and uh, human uh, exploitation, not necessarily bad exploitation, but human use of the resources alongside of wildlife use of the resources where inside an, uh, a protected area, it's, protected for the wildlife and the wildlife's use of the resources. And uh, where security personnel are higher inside a protected area, the security personnel are um, understandably a bit less in the buffer zone. And then you've got the security for the people outside the buffer zone. So let's look at these three levels of security. You've got security inside the park, which is there for the wildlife to protect the wildlife from the people. You've got the security in the buffer zone, which is the area that enforces the laws. Wildlife moving out should be protected and people moving in to use their resources should also be protected. So that's that's a difficult spot right there, the buffer zone, because you're working on both sides of the fence, so to speak. And then you've got security in the community, which is to protect people from wildlife. So when you look at a wildlife organization uh, who is mandated to protect wildlife, then uh, such as Kenya Wildlife Service, you can imagine now just how difficult their job is. Are they enforcers? Or are they community liaison? And where is the money going to come from? So we've got a lot of international aid coming in. We've got organizations like mine coming in. And we've got people all over who have gone on safari and decide they want to help starting up and working with a community or a person or um, for the love of a particular species. So the economics of conservation is a large scale uh, aspect that needs to be considered. Where does the money come from? Where is it going to go? And how should we best use it? And how does it get divided between protecting wildlife and protecting people? Um, right now, as we are losing the majority of our, Afri our, our wildlife across sub-Saharan Africa, um, through people encroachment, through the loss of security, through the loss, the inability to protect such huge 
tracks and landscapes, um, the very people that should be benefiting economically from both the land and the wildlife are not. So how do we deal with that? As Africa eats its way through its wildlife, it's eating its potential economics, uh, tourism and international funding. If the wildlife is gone, who's going to go there to see it? If, uh, if it ends up collapsing through inept policy and let's call it corruption and, um, disease and virus and climate shift, whose responsibility is it to bring Africa back? Is it Africa's? Or is it ours? In, is it in the international aid? So we have to make these decisions. Once again, comes back to where does your dollar work? Where does the global dollar work? And what kind of a planet do we want to have? And is there room for wildlife? Uh, coming back to um, what I was talking about in terms of poverty and indigenous peoples, um, Dead wildlife in Africa brings a small one-time benefit to a few people. One dead elephant, the ivory from those tusks, the horn from that rhino, that benefits a few people along a supply chain. Uh, the guy who actually went in there and killed the rhino to where the um, ivory or the horn was trucked out to its end destination, which is usually Asia. Uh, so a few people are benefiting that, but the wildlife belongs to, well, I guess that's a good question. Who does the wildlife belong to? In Kenya, the wildlife belongs to the government. The government owns all the wildlife. So how does that work when a government-owned lion comes on your property and eats your cow? How does that work? That's a really good question. So we have cons- uh, compensation schemes. And we have the same thing here. If a mountain lion comes and eats your livestock, uh, it has to be proven that it was X animal that did X damage to X livestock, and then you are compensated for the value of that animal. And that also works in Africa, but it can also be a black hole. How do you prove it? It takes time. It takes money. It takes manpower. So once again, we're down to the economics of conservation. How does it work? Who gets paid? How do we divvy up the money? And how do we divvy up the pie? And who counts? Is wildlife more important or is people more important? Important. I can tell you from experience that uh, once we start caring a lot more about the wildlife uh, than we do with the people, we're going to end up making enemies of the very people that we're trying to work with and enemies of conservation. I can uh, give you some examples of that, that if uh, an elephant was <clears throat> came in and ate a garden and the elephant was killed and left an orphan, just think who you're going to care about. Are you going to care about the man who was killed or are you going to care about the orphan? And right there is the crux of the problem. So we'll be back shortly and I'd love to hear from you. Please call in. I'd love to hear your questions. Send us an email at wildeyes at wildeyes.org or call in to 1-866-472-5788. I'd love to hear from you. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. 
wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Hi there, and we're back again. So... That might have given you a little mental wiggle room to think. I know I've been talking about some rather complex issues and perhaps um, not quite tied them all together again, or maybe I have. Um, it's hard for me to tell if I don't hear from you, so I would love to hear from you. Send me an email or give me a call if you'd like to join in on this conservation conversation. So um, I was asked a question um, in terms of the rhino horn uh, and how wrong it is uh, that most of us here in the West think it is that a rhino should just be killed for its horn or an elephant should just be killed for its its tusks. Personally, I think it is wrong. I think uh, rhino and elephants have just as much right to a free and ex- existence on our planet to do what it is they do, which is survive, live, eat, sleep, procreate, and uh, change our landscape and provide economic benefit to those countries where they live and provide a psychological benefit to those of us who go and visit it. It's not a simple issue. Um, what I'm trying to help everybody understand here is that the economics of conservation is complex. Um, it's all fine and dandy to look at it from the higher ground of theory and um international aid and deciding what should live and what should die in any particular area. But it's it's not that simple when you get on the ground and that elephant has done damage to your garden or that mountain lion has come in and killed your cow. And let's say that mountain lion is on federal land, uh, public land, land that our tax dollars support. Um, which is being grazed by private ranching or corporate interests. And uh, whose cow is that? Well, that cow belongs to a particular uh, concern, whether it be a corporation at the top of it 
I won't name names here, but we all know where our beef and um, chicken and all those, all you need to do is look in the grocery store and read the label. So we have these uh, concentrated food lots uh, where wildlife doesn't often get into. And then we have our private lands where, uh, uh, our, excuse me, our public lands where uh, our livestock is grazed. So our public lands are paid for by your tax dollars, you, me, every individual. That's where the money goes. So uh, we have an organization called uh, the United States uh, Department of Agriculture, uh, which is under the Department of the Interior, which manages our public and federal lands. And uh, these lands are given leases to ranching interests so that they can graze their livestock so that eventually you can get your McDonald's hamburger or your Wimpy Burger or your um, Wendy Burger, whatever it may be, or your highfalutin beautiful steak in the restaurant of your choice. That's where the food comes from. It doesn't come from the store. It comes from a cow. It comes from a pig. It comes from a sheep, and it comes from a goat. So let's start right there. Let's remember that our food is coming from an animal, and the all the, the variety of um, activities and dependencies we as people have on animals in our daily life. So getting back to the um, economics of conservation, it's not a small little single-layered effect that we're talking about here. It's multi-layered. It's multi-level. Uh, it contains a lot of issues that on the average day we're not necessarily thinking about when we're sitting behind the TV and looking at that lion make a kill. Oh, how beautiful. Um, it's bigger than that, and it involves all of us. We all can make that decision of what kind of planet we want to live on. And when I talk about that, uh, when I say what kind of planet do we want to live on, live on, this is what I'm talking about. Everything that I've been um, helping you understand over the last few weeks, these are all the issues we need to be thinking about. Some of us think about it all day long. Um, this is what we do for a living. But the rest of us would like to communicate with, not the rest of us, but we'd like to communicate with you so that we can understand from you and help you understand what all is involved when you say you love animals. So there are solutions out there um, to, to retain our planet's uh, remaining wildlife and, and wilderness, and it requires management, and it requires subsidy. So we have to understand what, what we're talking about when we mention the word subsidy. So let's go to corn, and let's go to wheat, and large agricultural practices that uh, are pretty much make up the, the center of our United States. Um, government subsidies uh, provide the ability for farmers and ranchers to uh, grow this corn and this wheat, and that is through our tax dollars. So once again, we can decide what we would like our tax dollars to be spent on by getting involved in our political system and making some decisions and understanding what it is that we would like to have our planet be, where we would like our food to come from, what kind of food we would like to have, and what kind of wildlife and uh, recreation areas and green spaces we would like to have and what will be contained in it. Just a bunch of trees and rivers and mountains that you can go freely recreate in? Or do you like that uh, idea that there's some bears out there and some mountain lions and squirrels and rabbits? I don't care what kind of animal it is. Uh, the uh, di distinction between 
the two is one provides a dangerous, a possibly dangerous encounter to us, and the other one provides some antics and some fun and some sheer enjoyment to just watch. So there are solutions to uh, retaining our remaining wildlife on our planet. And as I said, it requires management and subsidy. Subsidy is either government loans, uh, private loans, foreign aid, or uh, private and individual aid, such as what Wild Eyes provides to our grantees in Africa. Or if you felt like donating to a wildlife conservation uh, project, what you would be providing to an organization like Wild Eyes or whatever your contribution to whatever organization you give, fulfilling your philanthropic desire. Um, international communities, we do love to see African wildlife, yet we don't have to live with it. Uh, we don't have to live with the conflicts or the resulting predation and dangers. Ranchers do, and they do on our public lands and uh, federal lands. They have to deal with wolves and with mountain lions and with coyotes and with the occasional bear. And we do have a management service that deals with that. And I don't know if I have a lot of time to get into that, but uh, as I started getting into, uh, that is called the uh, uh, United States Department of Agriculture, which is under the United States Dep- Department of the Interior. And within the uh, USDA, there is a, an organization, sub-organization called Animal and Plant Health Inspection Services, otherwise known as APHIS, that has another uh, subsection under that known as Wildlife Services. And uh, on my first show, I talk, gave some numbers about what Wildlife Services is doing to our uh, wildlife out there. And Wildlife Services, being a governmental organization, is funded by public money, meaning our tax dollars, and yet uh, they have their own agenda. Most government wildlife management organizations that are subsidized uh, by the public do have an agenda. And uh, despite the misnomer of the title, wildlife services or forestry services, um, these organizations are not necessarily geared toward the protection of our forests or the protection of our wildlife. These organizations were founded and organized at the beginning, way back in the 18 and 1900s, to protect ranching interests, to protect uh, logging interests, to provide a way to manage the exploitation of our resources. So our wildlife, as I had said earlier, is belongs to our government. It doesn't belong to you. Uh, well, it, it does. It does belong to us. I mean, in the end, we run our government, right? Isn't that what our Constitution says? So we do have the ability to make choices and decide how this wildlife is treated throughout its its existence on our planet. And it is up to you and it is up to me to make these decisions and get involved. Um, I'm going to give just a, a, a few examples here. There is a, an organization called the uh, American Society of Mammologists. And in a letter dated March 12th of 2012, they, along with several other societies of combined uh, combined or made up of zoologists, mammologists, biologists, scientists, uh, organized a letter to the um, wildlife services under APHIS and the USDA, ultimately under the Department of the Interior. Um, and what they're hoping and urging all of us, that's me, you, 
and uh, science to help wildlife services and help our government understand that we do control the pocketbook and we would like to see better management of what that money is funding. And it uh, does come down to us. It comes down to where our tax dollars go. So um, just a, a quick little fact here. We're going to be heading into a, a break that um, the killing of large numbers of carnivores of many species may be a reciprocally self-canceling action. For example, reducing wolf populations causes mesopredators, the smaller predators, to increase um, their population. And evidently, when we... Nature abhors a vacuum. So when we kill off one thing in one niche, what's going to happen? Another niche is going to explode. And that's what we have to look at on a larger scale when we talk about wildlife management. So it looks like we're heading into another break here. And I would love to hear from you. Call 1-866. Where is my number? 1-866-472-5788. Or get, send me an email at wildeyes at wildeyes.org. I'd love to hear from you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Hi there, and we're back to talking about uh, the economics of conservation of what it takes to protect 
our wild world and our role in that. I, uh, before the break, was talking about our own U.S. Uh, management arm, Wildlife Services, under our government's control and how they are subsidized and by us and our tax dollars to uh, what I and the Society of Mammalogists and several other scientists are beginning to call in, uh, massive campaigns to exterminate our uh, predators and mesopredators with our money. Um, just an example, uh, the, the extermination of wolves and coyotes across the West was begun in the early 1900s, and by the 1920s, 20s, rabbits had so overpopulated the region that another massive campaign was begun to reduce their numbers. 600,000 rabbits were killed in one year in Idaho by government hunters. Apparently, wildlife services didn't quite make that connection that when you start killing off the coyotes and the wolves and the other mesopredators, foxes and um the, the small carnivores that their prey species is going to balloon. So mass extermination programs to eliminate, um, uh, whether it be prairie dogs, wolves, uh, coyotes, foxes, um, these programs that were begun by our wildlife services in the 1900s um, had cascading effects on the quality of grassland ecosystems and not only um, the species associated with the targeted prey that uh, that they were killing uh, declined, but their losses resulted in the invasion of other unwanted species, uh, desert shrubs, noxious weeds, um, and uh, grasses that overtake and eat out the native grasses. So this is what I'm talking about when I say wildlife is our ecosystem architect. We need to understand the niches that these animals and these various species fill before we start going and deciding to do mass extermination uh, projects. And uh, these projects and programs are funded by us, uh, our tax dollars, and carried out by our government. And we do have the ability to get together as a concerned voice, as concerned citizens, not only of the U.S., but of Earth and uh, a caring component of the other animals that live with us to um, say they have the right to be here also. Um, we do need to keep our eye on uh, our government and our wildlife services. They are not there to protect wildlife. Uh, the, the smaller organizations, the nonprofits, are there to specifically protect and fight for wildlife. We need to get on top of and understand what these government services are about, what their goal is, what their um, – logic is and your role in um, helping guide that logic. Do you want your tax dollars going toward uh, the killing of of these animal species uh, guided by the interests of private uh, private concerns, ranching um, and uh, in livestock, or do you want it for uh, our benefit and the benefit of our ecosystems and understanding the roles that these animals play in our systems. So I would urge you to um, connect with the Society of Mammalogists or call on the USDA and APHIS to end the use of toxic chemicals left in the environment, cease aerial gunning activities in wilderness areas, and substantially reduce their budget from our 
uh, tax dollars for lethal control of native wild animals. Um, yes, there certainly is a point for and a place for wildlife services to use lethal control and control and management uh, of wildlife species, but it needs to be based on sound science. It needs to understand what the niche is, what the uh, overall environment calls for, and how that works in the web of life. I know it sounds like a cliche and in a, a way overused term, but that's really what it is. And we are a part of that web. We are part of that field. We are a part of um, what makes our country and our world work. So my suggestion and my request to everyone out there is to stand up, think, and take a stand. Decide what kind of planet you want. And um, we all like to enjoy and recreate and get out there and and see this gorgeous place we call Earth. And I'd like to see that it continues with the other inhabitants that we live with and live amongst and who live amongst us and use our habit habitations and use the things that we build and um, that we can use the world that they have built for us. So um, I would love to hear from you, whether it's now or throughout the week. I'd love to have you get involved. Uh, coming up, I'm going to be having some special guests, uh, some folks from our projects uh, in Africa and some folks that work with wildlife here in the U.S. And um, I can always suggest some excellent reading uh, that is out there. I think last week I talked about a book by Lynn McTaggart called The Bond, which basically talks about connecting in the spaces between us so that uh, uh, we have an understanding of how all these pieces and parts are connected over the last 50 years of uh, new science, technology, neuroscience, uh, social sciences, psychology, uh, that give good background and good data to how we can decide to uh, be a different kind of human being on this planet. So whether you want to call that airy-fairy or self-help or a little esoteric or ethereal, it's a good book to read because it gives you a place and it helps you um, helps us understand our identity as uh, inhabitants of uh, our world a bit more. There are excellent books out there on wildlife management. Um, there's uh, good resources on the web. You can visit uh, the Society of Mammalogists uh, at uh, mammalsociety.org, and this letter that I'm talking about is there, and it gives you a really good idea of what's going on in terms of wildlife research, science, and study that's going out there, and the battles, I'm going to say, that we have to face and the funding that gets put into defeating this cause. If we're going to spend millions of dollars to reintroduce, let's call it billions of dollars to reintroduce wolves, and we have a government organization that is out there killing them at the same time, is that really the best use of our federal money, our tax dollars, without having uh, it be balanced between uh, understanding why these animals are important and why and the conflict and, uh, between uh, private concerns and interests and our federal dollars. So I urge you to just educate yourself. Go out there, spend um, five minutes uh, cruising the web and educating yourself and getting some information, or certainly give me a call or send me an email. I'd love to answer your questions. 
And uh, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let me know. If you have something that uh, you'd like to say that comes along under the topics of what we're talking about, our wild world, which is a pretty big topic, um, in case you haven't noticed, it covers a whole lot of territory. Um, so today we talked about the economics of conservation. Next week, I think I'm going to talk about uh, uh, sort a little bit more about Animal Manifesto and some of my experiences in Africa. I said I'm going to get some uh, special guests up here, but I would really love to hear from you. I'd like to hear uh, what you have to say, uh, your experiences, and bring this home so that we can all get a better understanding that we're all in this together that uh, we decide what kind of world we want to live on. And uh, in that note, visit our website, www.wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. You can find out a lot about our projects, more about me. More, There's a place where you can come in and blog and talk. You can visit us on Twitter and Facebook. And let's just communicate. That's the biggest goal of what I would like to accomplish here. Let's communicate. Let's become a community. Let's talk to each other. And let's see what we can do for our wild world and keep it going so that it's there for all of us to enjoy. And uh, thank you again, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.